following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, March 27, 2022, on the basis of Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. As a small child, it's easy to assume that everyone else is just like you. Everyone's family works the same way that your family does. We take out the dog, we do the family chores, we take off our shoes when we come inside. So you can imagine my shock and my horror as a young child going over to a friend's house for a first play date only to realize that they don't take off their shoes when they come inside. Now this isn't a message about taking off your shoes in the house. If your family does that, that's okay. It's neither right nor wrong, although I might have an opinion about it. (laughs) But the point is, is that different families have different rules. Different houses have different rules. Some families decide to keep pets. Other families do not. Some families have a rigid structure where every member of the family has a specific role, a specific job. Other families don't do that. Some families have set times that they set aside for family time. Other families just let family time come organically and naturally. None of these are right or wrong. We might have our opinions, but each of these choices that we make reflect who we are as people, as a family. They give us a little window, a little glimpse into who we are as people. For example, your family might choose not to keep pets because of allergies, or maybe they don't want the extra work. Maybe your family chooses to set a specific time for family time because you know that if you don't make it a priority, it'll never happen. Or maybe it's just the only time when your schedules all line up. Maybe you take a different approach to parenting than everyone else because your kid has specific needs. Or maybe it's because of the flexibility in your personality. Whatever the choices are, we have different rules for different houses because we're all different people with different personalities, different temperaments, different likes and dislikes. Today, Jesus shows us God's house rules, how he runs his house, and his rules are radical and unexpected. Jesus gives us a glimpse of who our Heavenly Father is by telling us a familiar story, the story of the prodigal son. But even though it's a familiar story for many of us, Jesus takes us into unfamiliar territory. With these unexpected rules, God calls lost sinners like you and me back home to himself. Jesus begins his story by telling us about the younger son, a rebellious son, a son who hates home, who hates his father. He wants to get out as soon as possible. So he goes to his father and he says, give me my inheritance. It's a slap to the face. Essentially he's saying to his father, I wish that you were dead. I want your money, I want your things, but I want nothing to do with you. And surprisingly, The father does what no reasonable father would do. He does what his son asks him to do. We can picture what might actually happen if this were to happen today. A rebellious son or daughter comes to you and asks for an inheritance. You laugh at them and write them out of your will, right? You would scold them. You would talk to them, talk some common sense sense into them. And if they're still rebellious, well, maybe you would kick them out of the house. But that's not what this father does. He even goes a step further He splits his property, he gives the portion to the son, and then he lets that younger son leave him and reject him. It's a shocking choice, 
by the Father, but it reflects our God's choice. And it brings us to house rule number one. God gives even to those who hate him. It's been ingrained in us since we were little, right? Misbehavior is punished. Good behavior is rewarded. We say things like, you reap what you sow, what goes around comes around. And that's why this is so surprising to us. Because God treats us well even when we don't treat him well. God is good to us even when we aren't good to him. When we sin, when we choose to do what God tells us not to do, yes, we feel guilty, but it's because of that natural instinct that we feel more than just guilt. We feel fear. What might God do to us because of what we've done? What punishment or consequence might be waiting for us? What blessings might God take away from us because of what we've chosen to do? But that's not how our God operates. He gives good gifts to us even when we don't deserve it. Take a look at the world around you. There are plenty of wicked, godless people who God still gives good things. He still blesses them. He still gives them families, riches, blessings. Our God gives and gives and gives even to those people who take those gifts and run. People like this lost son who takes his father's inheritance and gets away as far as he can from his father. He goes to a foreign land and he wastes his money. He squanders it in foolish living. He spends and he spends and he spends. He does whatever he wants until all his money is gone. And right as he spends that last dollar, a famine hits the land. The son wakes up to find himself at rock bottom. He's in the mud and the muck. He's feeding pigs, friendless, homeless, penniless. And there in the mud and in the muck at rock bottom, the son comes to his senses. He comes to himself and he, realize what, he realizes what a fool he's been to leave his father's house, to leave his father's table, to leave his father's home and protection. And there he comes up with a plan. He'll go home, he'll beg for forgiveness, he'll grovel and beg and ask to be taken back in as a slave, as a servant. He'll work for his father, he'll regain his father's trust, he'll repay his debts, and hopefully, maybe someday, he'll get taken back into the family. So the son resolves to do this, and he sets off on the long journey home. But as he rounds that final bend to his house, he sees an incredible, a ridiculous sight. There's his father, the elder, respected man, running towards him, tears in his eyes. He runs to embrace his son, to hug him, to kiss him. The son tries to explain his plan. He tries to give his speech, but his father won't let him. He calls to a servant, fetch my ring, fetch my robe, fetch my sandals, put it on my son. Go kill the fattened calf we saved just for these occasions. Let's throw a party. Let's celebrate because my son was lost and now he's found. He's dead. He was dead and now he's alive. It's a shocking turn of events for this son, right? Rags to riches. He goes from being penniless, starving, friendless, to having a feast thrown in his honor. It's a tremendous reversal of fortunes, but it's also an incredible injustice. Here's what we would picture would happen if this were to happen, right? A son would come back, he'd grovel and beg. His father would give him the silent treatment, but finally take him back into the house. He'd let him work. He would slave and work and toil until he repays his debts, until he gives back all that he owes, until he earns back his father's trust. And then, only then, his father would let him back into the house, let him back into the family, 
then everything would be back to normal, right? But again, that's not what the Father does, and that's not what he does to you. And that brings us to rule number two of God's house. God doesn't hold sinners at arm's length. He runs to embrace us. And that's such a strange thing because the world that we live in is such a justice-centered world, isn't it? A criminal commits the crime, so he pays the time. A child misbehaves, they know what's waiting for them. Detention, grounding. A husband or a wife does something wrong at home, and their spouse gives them the cold shoulder until they make up for it. And that's the way that we operate too, isn't it? When someone wrongs us, when someone offends us, when someone hurts us, we hold them out at arm's length until they make it up to us. If someone hurts us bad enough, if they hurt us in an unforgivable way, well then, we cut them out of our lives. They're dead to us. But that's not what God does. When you fall, when you relapse, when you sin, when you do what you know you should not have done, when you say those words that you should never say, when you hurt the people in your lives, God doesn't hold you off at arm's length. He runs to meet you. He rushes to embrace you, to bring you back into the family, to kill the fattened calf, to give you a feast, a celebration, something that you would never think you would get from him. That's what our God does, because that's who he is. He loves to bring back his lost children. He loves to bring the dead back to life. He loves to bring you back home. And that's God's promise to you and to me, that when we come home, it's never too late. He'll take us back as a son. He'll kill the fattened calf, give us a feast. The story of the younger son is our story when we come back home. And maybe that would be a nice place to end the story. But of course, there's another character to meet. There's another brother, the older brother. The older brother's been toiling, sweating out in the field. He comes back, he comes back to the house exhausted. He comes back to the house and he sees that there's dancing, there's singing, there's music coming from the house. So he calls the servant over and he asks what's going on. The servant tells him, your brother has returned and your dad has killed the fattened calf. He's thrown a feast for him. And the brother becomes irate. He refuses to go into the house. And so the father comes out a few minutes later to try to beg him to come in. But the son snaps at his father. He says, all these years I've been faithful to you. All these years I've done what you've asked. I've never disobeyed you. I've never run off from home. I've been with you through thick and thin. And yet you've never given me even a small reward, a small party. And here my younger brother comes back after spending his money on prostitutes, wasting his money. And you take him in and you give him a feast. And we can understand the older brother's anger, the sense of injustice. Here he is. He's done everything his father has asked. He's been far better than his younger brother. And yet it's the younger brother who runs off who gets the reward. The older brother's charge against his father is pretty straightforward. He's not fair. He's not giving him what he deserves. And that's where the older brother is wrong. And that's where we go wrong too. As Christians, yes, Jesus died for us, right? We understand that, yes, Jesus died. He paid for my sins. But then we act as if it's a contract. God died for us because we're good. God died for us because we deserve it. We have to fulfill our quota of good deeds. We have to do these good things. Otherwise, God will say, well, if you don't keep behaving, 
well, I'll take it away. We act as if this is a conditional thing. Jesus died for us if we're good, if we're good to our children, if we're a good spouse, if we're kind, if we're friendly. But again, that's not the way our God works. And that brings us to our final house rule. God's house rule number three. God makes us his children, not his servants. A servant slaves, a servant toils, a servant has quotas to meet, contracts to fulfill, a servant has work to do. A son does not. Listen to the words of the father to the older brother, right? My son, everything I have is yours. As sons and daughters, we receive things from our parents not because we earn or deserve them, but simply because our parents love us. This older brother is being a foolish child, a foolish child saving up pennies, trying to buy everything himself, trying to prove to his father that he belongs, that he's deserving, that he's worthy of his father's love and acceptance. And yet all the while, he doesn't realize how much his father truly loves him. His father will buy him good gifts. His father will give him wonderful toys. His father will give him every blessing, every good thing, a cake too, right? A party, a celebration, not because the son has earned it, but simply because he loves him. And we might summarize all of God's house rules, all of these lessons he teaches us into one word, grace, God's undeserved love for us. Right? Grace is the gift that God gives to people who even don't accept it. You can see Jesus on the cross hanging there, saying to those people who taunt him and kill him, Father, forgive him, forgive them. Grace is the gift that God gives to children who run away from home, who deserve nothing but punishment, and instead he gives them a feast, a celebration. It's never too late to come home. Grace is the gift that God gives to you and me, older brothers, as he begs us and calls us not to stand outside in the cold, not to try and earn or deserve our place in heaven, but to simply come inside and enjoy what he's given us. Grace is God's gift for you. This is how our God operates. This is grace, that God runs, at, runs to meet a younger brother who has offended him, that God gives gifts to people who hate him, that God makes you a son and a daughter, not a slave. These are God's house rules. This is God's grace to you. Amen. Amen.